Well, isn't, isn't it wonderful when you can give someone a gift that they truly enjoy? A gift that they value greatly and they actually use? <laughs> Would you agree that's a wonderful feeling, right? It's a great thing to do. Well, I was thinking uh, this past week, a number of years ago, my wife and I bought an American Girl doll for our kids' birthdays. They had been asking for some time, and we held off, you know, because we wanted to make sure that they actually wanted these things. You know how that can go. And not to mention that those dolls aren't particularly cheap. But when we actually gave them the dolls... They absolutely loved them. They played with them all the time for several years, either by themselves or together with their sisters. They brought them everywhere they went. They spent hours kind of planning houses and things about their lives, these little American girl dolls. They bought books about their particular characters as well as accessories. When the catalogs came, the American Girl catalogs came in the mail, it was an event. It was an event. Everything stopped and wish lists, long wish lists were made. American Girl, they actually made movies about some of the characters and we watched them numerous times. And then we went to the American Girl store in New York City and another one in Washington, outside of Washington, D.C. And it was an absolute dream world for them. We had to rent a U-Haul to bring home all the stuff. No, just, just kidding. Well, they no longer play with them. But they kept them and have expressed a desire to, at least several of them, to give them to their kids one day. Though those dolls were expensive... It was worth it because they enjoyed them so very much. Now, the idea of a gift, the whole notion of a gift. Who do you think that comes from? It comes from God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift ultimately comes from God. He, good, he gives good gifts and He desires that we would enjoy them. And the gifts we're going to focus on today might be surprising as we often don't really see them as gifts and consequently we actually impoverish our lives as a result. You say, well, what are those gifts? We'll keep on listening. Before we get there, I want to catch us up to speed in our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. We've seen so far that Solomon showed that wisdom and pleasure, and work are not the meaning of life. Remember how he pursued them in this very lengthy pursuit to explore whether they were the meaning of life. And he found that though they're fixtures of life, they are not the meaning of life. 
And the problem is when we try to make them the meaning of life, when they were never intended for that purpose, we look to them to satisfy our hearts and then complain when they don't do so. We look to the wrong things to provide ultimate meaning and satisfaction when it really belongs to God and God alone. So as we came to the end of chapter 2, now we come to a really stop-on-a-dime transition in the book of Ecclesiastes. To start, Solomon, if we've been paying attention, has only spoken of God one time in almost two chapters. But now he speaks of God three times in just three verses. But moreover, Solomon makes his first positive point so far. The book of Ecclesiastes has been pretty gloomy, hasn't it, so far? But now there's these beams of sunlight that start breaking forth into the book. Solomon stresses that God has given gifts to us, and this won't be the only time that he actually speaks of this in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Six times. He stresses that God has given gifts to us and that we should enjoy them. It's a running theme that pops up in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, certainly there are other gifts that we could point to that are things that we should enjoy in life. But by far, two things are pointed out more than anything else in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here they are. Number one. Work. Work. And then two, food and drink. Food and drink. As I said, there are other things that we could talk about. The Bible talks about other things. But in keeping with Solomon's emphasis, I want to focus on these two areas this morning by looking at some of these different texts that focus on this theme. Enjoy the gifts of God. Enjoy the gifts of God. Yes, we live in a fallen world and there will be disappointments with these gifts. But the goodness and the importance of the gifts have not been erased. And God desires that we enjoy them. So we're going to discuss why we should enjoy these gifts as well as how to grow, how to grow in our enjoyment. And I just have to say at the front end. That if you do not enjoy this sermon, now I wasn't even intending that pun, but if you do not enjoy this sermon, something is wrong with you. Check your pulse because this is about enjoying gifts that God has given to you. So let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, page 554 for using one of the Bibles in front of you. So the first area of life to enjoy is work, is work. It's fun just to look out at the expressions on people's faces when I said that. <laughs> Ecclesiastes, where we left off, 2, 24 to 26. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he 
has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So as I said, six times Solomon says that we're, we have a need to enjoy our work. Another instance is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring to him to see what will be after that? So yes, we are called to enjoy our work. Now I want to backtrack a little bit because Solomon is building on earlier parts of Scripture in his teaching. He's kind of assuming things that we need to make sure we are on the same page as Solomon. So let's remind ourselves of the reasons to work, why we should work. Let me give you two biblical principles about work that might open up your horizons a little bit. First, God works. God works. Did you know that? God works. He's active and he accomplishes things. Work is not beneath God. God is not a tyrant ruler and we're his mindless slaves. God himself works. He's always doing something. Always doing something. And we see the fact that God works most clearly, I think, with the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus worked in his humanity as a carpenter. And his ministry of, ad- of redemption was intense work. He taught the masses, healed, cast out demons, counseled people in distress, trained his disciples, and he walked from town to town to town. You never read Jesus ever getting on a donkey or a horse. He walked everywhere he went under the hot Palestinian sun. And we actually read of his exhaustion a few times. Jesus worked. And that leads to a second reason to, uh, or second reason to enjoy work. Work is good. If you actually pay attention in the Bible, work was created before the fall. Work is not a consequence of the fall. It was not part of the curse. Work is good. Adam and Eve were called to work the Garden of Eden. Moreover, they and their descendants were called to subdue the earth. Now, Eden may have been a paradise, but the rest of the earth was not. That's why they had to go and subdue it. They weren't sitting back, feet on lounge chairs, drinking smoothies. That wasn't the, that the rest of the earth was not like that. They had to go subdue it. That meant work. So friends, all work has dignity and value to it. As long as it is honest. All work contributes to the greater good. All work should bring a source of satisfaction. God made us to accomplish things. It feels good to accomplish and achieve a task. And as much as we moan and groan about work, our lives would be incomplete without it. I work a lot. I like to work. And the thought of taking a couple days and just vegging You know what? That sounds really good. But you know what? After a day or two of that, I would want to start working. 
I wouldn't just want to sit around all the time. We're made in the image of a working God. So we are made to work. Work is good. So let me offer two practical points to help us enjoy our work more. How do we actually do this? And hopefully this is something that you struggle with. Might be a benefit to you. First, focus on what you enjoy about your work. Focus on what you enjoy about your work. Yes, we all know there's going to be struggles with any type of work. Your boss, your hours, changing schedules, the commute, the pay, the lack of pay, the lack of promotions, travel, on and on we might say. And working around the house has its challenges too, right? Maybe a lack of recognition, a lack of pay, isolation and so on. But there should always be something that you enjoy about your work. That's right, I said that. There should always be something that you enjoy about your work. What is it? You don't have to answer out loud. Rhetorical question. Something should come to your mind. About things that you enjoy. And I would also encourage you. That have other work outside of vocational work. That you enjoy. Gardening, hobbies, exercise and so on. Serving in the church is a great way to enjoy work. So in other words, if one type of work is not as, as enjoyable as you would like. Have other areas of work that you do enjoy. So focus on what you enjoy about work. How else are we going to enjoy the gift of work unless you actually stop and think about it, right? Second, focus on what your work accomplishes. Yes, your work actually does accomplish something. may not feel like it at times, but it does. Something is made. Something is fixed. Something is clean. Something is moved. People are helped. Food is served. And if you're paid, then you get money to pay your bills, right? So you have a roof over your head. And then you have hopefully some money to have some possessions. Now, obviously, Scripture warns us about the danger of greed and wanting too many things. But Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 20 reminds us to actually enjoy the things that come from work. Turn over there with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. I want you to read these words yourselves. I know you've been reading through Ecclesiastes, but in case this didn't sink in, read these words with me. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Of course, as I said, Scripture, we need the whole council reminds us about the need to help others in times of need and using our resources and so forth. But. Did you hear what this passage says? It fills in a necessary part 
of how we're to see life. That it is not wrong to utilize your work to enjoy things in life. You enjoy those things instead of dwelling all the time about all the things that are wrong in life. Right? So focus on how your work maybe enables you to go purchase a house or an apartment or to take a family vacation or something that you just like in life. To buy a dress. To buy a motorcycle. To buy a piece of furniture that you just like. The Bible says that. Some of you are like, wow, I'm so glad the Bible says that. It's in perspective with everything else, right? But it says that. Enjoy the gifts that God has given. And then finally, your work allows you to be generous. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I believe the most rewarding thing that you can do with your money that you get from your work is to give it away. The money from your work allows you to give to the church, to give to missions, to give to sponsor a child in another nation, or to help somebody in need. Your work allows you to do that. Amen? I love the paraphrase of John Wesley's famous advice where he said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. It's great. You can't beat that right there. So, do you see work a little bit differently? Excited about going to that job tomorrow morning now? Enjoy the gifts that God has given. And work, friend, is a gift from God. Second area of life to enjoy is food and drink. Food and drink. Four times Ecclesiastes mentions food and drink as God's gifts to enjoy. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 13 teaches, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that anyone, that everyone, excuse me, should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Ecclesiastes 8, 5 8.15 says, I commend joy, for man has nothing better than the hot under the hot under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him and his toil through all the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So obviously food and drink, we know that that's a fixture of life. We must eat to live. But God wants us to see food as more than just simply a necessity to live, but actually a gift. God made this earth, and it's no accident that it produces food and drink for us to enjoy. He wants people to enjoy the goodness of food and drink. Just look out, for example, in the Old Testament, when God gave Israel the promised land. What's the sort of common tag that you see? That it was a land flowing with milk and honey. When he establishes different religious festivals for them, you see that food was a part of those festivals. But I think most poignantly, 
it's interesting to look at the life of Jesus. Food and drink are an overlooked part of his ministry. Jesus was not some ascetic who spent all of his days out in a wilderness. Rather, Jesus went to meals, weddings, religious festivals. He spent time with friends and, yes, his enemies, not just to teach them, but to eat with them. In fact, in uh, Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus points out that he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now, we know that wasn't the case because those are sinful things to do. But it does give you an idea that Jesus spent his time celebrating with people, didn't he? And you look at his teachings, food and drink figured prominently in his parables. About the, how about the, some of the parables that come to your mind? I think of the prodigal son, right? When the son comes back, what'd they do? Back to work? No? Let's throw a huge feast to get across this idea. Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine. And they all marveled at how tasty the wine was, right? When Jesus fed the multitudes in the wilderness, it literally says that he stuffed them. This wasn't a cracker and a sardine, friends. He stuffed them. They didn't get cheated. They were very full. The Lord's Supper is the celebration of Christ's death and sacrifice on on our behalf. When Jesus established it, it was part of a meal, wasn't it? The Exodus Passover meal. We say, well, well, that was during his ministry, but after his resurrection, things changed. You know, he he was more serious and he didn't have time to have meals with people. No, after his resurrection, he meets up with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They invite him to sit down, probably with their families, and they share a meal together. We say, well, that was Jesus, you know, he got kind of roped in there. Well, how about John 21? We saw a few months ago after the resurrection, Jesus makes the meal himself and says, disciples, come here and share with me. Well, now you're thinking, well, that, that's life on earth. That's all that it's going to be. It stops, right, when, when we die. Well, if you're thinking that, you're greatly mistaken. In heaven, what Scripture calls the new creation, food and drink appear prominently. Let me just read a couple of descriptions from the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 25, 6 speaks of the day of the Lord when he returns. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. Friends, there's more on the menu than rice cakes and kale chips, all right, in the new creation. Now, some of you might like that, and I'm sure that might be there, but that's not the menu itself. Revelation 19.7, it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. So our experience in the new creation is likened to a wedding feast. That's no accident. The wedding feast was the most joyous, the most extensive celebration for ancient Palestinian Jews. 
could last up to a week. It was a time of enormous food and festivity. And of course, speaking of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, when Jesus established it, he said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So that's going to happen once again. And I just have this belief that you and I are absolutely going to be blown away of the food and the festivity of the new creation. We have this boring image of what the new creation will be like, and I don't think it'll be anything like that at all. So friends, God wants us to enjoy food. And let me give you two practical points to help us enjoy eating more. I mean, you're hearing a sermon about eating and loving it more. This is good stuff, right? You will not get this very often. First, enjoy food itself. We should enjoy the tasty and the bountiful portions. But you know, we should also enjoy the bland and the meager portions. It's all a gift, isn't it? We should enjoy the creativity of God with all the smells, the flavors, and the textures. Do you stop and think about the food you have before you eat it? Before we just shove it in our face? Think about the abundance that God has given on this planet. All the different fruits and vegetables. Pasta. Chocolate. I love that t-shirt that says, save the earth, it is the only planet with chocolate. (laughs) We should realize our dependence on God by the food as we consider food itself. Food reminds us of our limitations and our constant need for God. Consequently, food should stir in us a sense of gratitude. And yes, I do think that you should say thanks for the meals that you enjoy. We find Jesus giving thanks before he enjoyed his meals. The food doesn't just fall from the sky on your plate. We should give thanks. You say, well, then it gets kind of mechanical, doesn't it? Well, perhaps. But maybe it's an alert to our hearts about how grateful we really are. By the way, just as a funny thing, uh, we'll put in our church Facebook page. Tim Hawkins, the comedian, does a great little one-minute skit about Asking God for thanks on unhealthy meals. And what do we actually say with that? So after the service, you can check that out. So enjoy food itself. Second, enjoy food with others. Enjoy food with others. I can't imagine Solomon talking about people just simply enjoying food all by themselves. Not that that doesn't obviously take place. But friends, food by nature is communal. It takes other people to grow, to prepare, to cook. And it's meant to be enjoyed with friends and family members, people in our lives. Nothing gathers people together like food, does it? And it adds to the enjoyment. And as Christians, we know that there's an extra spiritual bond that we enjoy as we share food together. So let me encourage you. To take advantage of opportunities that happen in the life of our church, whether it's a life group, 
where meals are served or food is prepared, fellowship meals, or even some of the Sunday nights we've been having at our house during the summer. You say, well, I'm, I'm kind of reserved and I don't feel comfortable doing that. Can I just be honest? I totally get that. I totally understand that. It's hard to go into a new place and whatever the situation might be. But would you ask God to give you the courage and the desire to be stretched? Because there is a richness that you're missing out on. When we get to partake of God's good gifts together the way they were meant to be. And let me throw also out there to consider hosting things at your house, whether it's a church function or not, just to enjoy food and drink with others. Amen? Here's a footnote that I felt like I needed to put in here. Let me just say a word about self-control. When Ecclesiastes tells us to enjoy food and drink, that has to be balanced, doesn't it? I don't think he's saying to go hog wild and the more food you eat, just the more you're giving glory to God. Actually, there is greater enjoyment with greater self-control. You enjoy things more when you're not enslaved to them. In other words, when you choose to enjoy these things and are not compelled, you enjoy them for what they are rather than eating out of a sense of compulsion and then feeling the guilt and the shame. Amen? So that's something that as we try to grow in enjoying these gifts, something for us to grow in as well. Let me close with two points of application. Two points of application. First, our enjoyment of God's gifts bring Him glory. He wants us to enjoy His gifts. We have spoken about work and food and drink, but it's really applicable to all the things in life that are gifts, whether you're talking about marriage, family, relationships, things in life that are gifts from God, the good things in life, they are His gifts, and He wants us to enjoy them. And we should seek to glorify God with all of these gifts. When we do, we recognize His goodness and His provisions for our needs. When we do this, it shows our trust in Him as well as our gratitude. And when we do, friends, it shows that these things, these gifts, that's what they are. They're not idols. They're in their place, and you actually enjoy them more when they are in their place, right? When they don't become the meaning of life or the source of peace and joy in your lives. When you see them for what they are, and our enjoyment of these gifts bring Him delight and honor. It's about the glory of God, and He wants you to use these gifts for His glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now I've tried to be really positive during this message. But put your feet back because I'm going to stomp on them just for a second. It dishonors God to complain about His gifts. God gives us good gifts. Yet far too often, we focus on our disappointments with those gifts. How does that make you feel when you give someone a gift? 
and they push it away. Complain about it. Neglect it. We focus on what we do not have rather than what we have. I believe that when we neglect and reject those gifts, that is an affront to the giver. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or complaint or, or disputing. I wonder if some of us might need to have some. This isn't a guilt trip. This is meant for us to do some honest evaluation of our hearts, how we view these gifts, and if there might be a need for some deep repentance about how we view the gifts of God in our lives. Are we grateful the way we should be? Here's my last point, the second point. Our enjoyment of God's gifts conforms us to the image of Christ. There's a spiritual component here. Let me explain what I mean. Follow this logic. Our purpose is to become like Christ. We are saved, not just so that we're stamped and we're going to heaven, but once we're saved, God wants us to start becoming more and more like Christ, right? Our character, our actions, we're supposed to become like Christ. That's our purpose. Christ enjoyed God's gifts as we saw earlier. Therefore, to become like Christ, we are to grow in our enjoyment of these gifts. Now, obviously, I'm not putting on the same plane as enjoying these gifts, the the need for prayer, Bible study, serving. Those are the bedrock essentials of growing like Christ. But if we're to imitate his humanity in all things, he enjoyed God's gifts. You know, Scripture calls Jesus the new Adam. He shows us how to live unshackled by sin. Friends, Jesus was not this perpetually, we have this in our minds sometimes, he kind of walked around as this sort of somber, bleak, uh, you know, personality or whatever. I don't think that Jesus was like that at all. I believe that Jesus walked around not full of bitterness about the way gifts were used in his life. Frustrations and so forth. I think Jesus was the most alive person who ever lived. Yes, he was broken over sin, but the gifts of God, he rejoiced and celebrated over. Christians need to be more alive and grateful for the gifts that God has given them. For some reason, we've unwittingly bought into this notion that God is more glorified if we don't enjoy his gifts. If we walk around with a sour face on all the time, not grateful for things, that we seem unspiritual if we're grateful for our work, if we're grateful for a wonderful dinner. Friends, you can have it both ways. You can be grateful for the cross and grateful for those lesser things. Jesus enjoyed God's gifts, and as we become like him, we will do the same. The great theologian Irenaeus said, quote, The glory of God is the human person fully alive. God is about redeeming and restoring humanity, washing away their sins, and then redeeming them and restoring them to be the way they were supposed to be. God wants you to become like Christ. Does that make sense? One final thing. We've spoken so far about God's gifts that we've seen here. 
These gifts are wonderful. But you know what they really truly are? They're a signpost to a greater gift. The ultimate gift. The gift of salvation. The gift of salvation. You see, friends, the Scripture teaches us that each of us have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. And yes, we deserve judgment. God could have certainly taken away these gifts as punishment, but He doesn't. But He will still judge humanity because He has a perfect standard of justice that He cannot sweep under the rug. So the question is, how do we avoid judgment? Most people think, well, I'm going to avoid judgment one day because my good outweighs my bad. I hope I get 51% or whatever, and God will say, okay. But Scripture teaches otherwise. We avoid judgment. By receiving God's grace and forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection, we place our faith in Him to be made right with God. And when we do, we receive the gift of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Listen to this. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Friends, salvation is a gift that God holds out to you. You don't pay for it. You don't earn it. You simply believe in Christ and receive it. Has that ever happened in your life today? Has that ever happened? Let me encourage you to receive that gift today. And as you do, you will echo what Paul said. I love these words in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. The greatest gift of all is knowing Christ. And then once we know Christ, all these gifts that we spoke of earlier, then they make sense. Then we get to enjoy them more because we see them for what they actually are. Signposts to the ultimate gift of salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you are good and that every perfect gift does come down from heaven. Lord, we pray that you would help us to enjoy the gifts that you have given to us. God, we ask you to forgive us for grumbling, neglecting, rejecting the gifts that you have given. Lord, you know what you are doing. And if we have struggles and disappointments and despair in our lives, perhaps it's because we have pushed away or not enjoyed the very gifts you have given in this life to enjoy. And Lord, I pray for the gift of salvation. Lord, it is not something that we earn, but it is something that we receive. I pray for someone today to reach out with their hands and their hearts, and to receive that gift into their life today, the gift of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your word. We praise you. We bless you. We thank you for it. It is such an encouragement. Thank you, Lord, how Ecclesiastes, in all of your word, it speaks to all of life. Even something like work and food and eating, how your word guides us into all things. We ask your blessing on your word. May you multiply it in our hearts. And may we live the way you called us to live. Imitators of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. All God's people said.
Amen. Amen.